In today's episode of the Indian Startup Show, I talk with the startup guy, aka Vijay Anand, the founder of the Startup Center. He will talk about the Indian startup ecosystem, which is the third largest startup ecosystem in the world. We talk about what's going right and what needs tweaking. From day one, companies are getting built to go global, right? It's not like, hey, we're going to become an American company. We're going to, you know, build it out for the U.S. market and then go, go elsewhere. Because you're sitting out of India, you're looking at different geographies all at the same time. So scale happens much faster compared to some of the other businesses that I see, either from Singapore or from even from Israel for that. Sitting in India and building for India, I think they're struggling because you're realizing that, you know, you're paying uh, significantly higher for your uh, talent pool and to keep your cost of business running. But as I said, right 90% of the country is still making about 12000 rupees a month so how do you you know get them to be part of this this marketplace hello everyone and welcome to the indian startup show it's a weekly podcast about indian startups entrepreneurs and what they're building i'm neil patel the host and thanks for tuning in so you will hear from vijay anand he's the entrepreneur and has been mentoring startups in india for the past 10 years he talks about the state of the indian startup ecosystem talks about finding india's identity we talk about the involvement of india's government the good and the bad he gives great advice if you're starting a venture today and what areas should you be focusing on and much much more so please tell the show thank you hello vj thank you for coming on the indian startup show today thanks for having me neil please tell us what you do i predominantly work with uh, an organization called the startup center where we do three kinds of things one we do a fair bit of ecosystem building activities mm-hmm. you know we work with entrepreneurs work with schools and colleges to basically figure out the next generation of entrepreneurs that's coming up the second thing that we do is invest in early stage startups uh, the third thing that is do is uh, we engage with governments in terms of policy making. So you mentioned the ecosystem. India is the third largest startup ecosystem in the world. Phenomenal metric, by the way, but all by all uh, standards. But those of us who are looking at the ecosystem are always thinking that, okay, I think that's awesome, but like, you know, are we sure that is the, you know, are we optimized yet, right? So I think as an ecosystem, we're moving away from, hey, can we get this off the ground to how do I optimize this ecosystem for a better outcome? Cool. And um, what, what's, what's going right at the moment in terms of the ecosystem? So you kind of see that there have been two waves of entrepreneurship that has happened, right? You know, you can look at the uh, slightly little earlier than 2000 era when the Book My Shows and the Reddits and all those companies came up. Like this was the time when Make My Trip and Sippy and all those companies came up, right? Quite a few of them even made it to the public listing and such. The second wave is all the Flipkart, you know, that kind of started off with e-commerce. And I think we're right now looking at the third wave where people are talking about hardware, people are talking about IoT, people are talking about, you know, a lot more data-driven products and stuff like that, which are at par, right? If you look at the wave one and wave two, it has always been that, hey, we're building a product, you know, which is cheaper than whatever is out. But I'm looking at wave three where a lot of people are building products that are starting to become, you know, in par with... People are looking at India as... You know, build it for India, it might make sense for the rest. Uh, Where does sort of blockchain come into this then? I'm still trying to figure out where does blockchain fit in. There have been quite a few technology trends which never panned out, right? Like IoT, for example, is one such brilliant example. Mm -hmm. Or VR for their example. Or AR for that example. I think there have been a lot of technology trends which necessarily don't yield commercialization of it. So from that point of view, like the most of the time when I meet meet people who are in the banking sector and they tell me that they have blockchain enabled, you know, data provisioning systems and, and, you know, they manage most of the data on blockchains. I ask them how many stakeholders are involved in this and they basically tell me two. And I'm like, why do you need blockchains? Right? You just need, you just need a shared database. So I think right now in a lot 
lot of cases blockchain seems to be an overkill people seem to be just using it because it's a cool thing but i do believe that you know if you look at the larger democ- larger um, picture of what's happening right i think uh, people are losing faith in democracy partly because there is an erosion of trust and i think what i'm actually seeing is that instead of trying to basically take an existing system like the financial services and trying to move it into blockchain i believe that fundamentally you need to start building societal systems that actually work on trust or the lack of trust but there are so things like govtech for example or civtech where people can actually leverage blockchain in the back to basically register votes and build consensus i think there are some very interesting things going sticking with the the, the ecosystem anything that needs tweaking i i do think we have quite a significant number of startups in india but i think if you look at it but you know on a population density scale uh, india still ranks quite low right i think if you look at the number of companies that are coming in there are i think there are some 5000 odd startups that have been registered here and there but if you look at a country like israel for example right which probably has a population as one of our cities probably has almost the same amount of startups and probably a lot more deep tech companies there is also the finer classification right like in israel if you do not have i think they have basically done the fine distinction between a startup and what is called an innovation led enterprise what they mean is that you know unless you have you know patented systems that are basically there we don't call you a startup right so you could be an e-commerce company you're not really considered in our mind a startup uh, you're just a business which is leveraging technology for skin so if you look at those finer distinctions i think india still has a little bit of way to go because if you look at it from the point of view as like you know are we innately producing new tech we are not really just we're just leveraging existing tech to a large scale i think there is some pretty good innovation that's happening on the for example the drug discovery space and things like that but uh, if you look at computer science as a as a sector india doesn't really i don't think we even produce enough phd's to basically be thinking about and you mentioned your accelerator just just for our listeners then what specifically are you looking for one of the things that i realized is that we've kind of gone through this wave where everybody said software is going to eat the world so we meet a lot of entrepreneurs who have very very they have a very good handle on the technology aspect right they know what to use how to basically build the best product out there we find entrepreneurs lacking in on the on the domain expert, right so people basically come and say like you know hey we want to do we want to do something in healthcare and inevitably they basically circle around hey i want to digitize medical records and that's about it you know you really don't go anywhere beyond that because you don't really understand the healthcare sector in the first place so i believe that entrepreneurs who have deep domain knowledge right if like b2c like you know when you're building B2C, to see companies uh i think it's perfectly fine if you don't really have prior experience in it because most of the time you are basically you start off with solving a problem that you have but if you're building b2b companies it's extremely hard to do that if you don't have deep domain knowledge we are increasingly seeing that like for example chennai is a very vibrant saas hub in india and that attribution is happening because we have a fairly large cluster of services companies which actually work on uh, quite a varied amount of domains right you know be it insurance banking health care and stuff like that and a lot of them who are basically 10 12 like you know years of working in the industry are coming out and basically saying you know what there is this really small niche where there are like you know 1200 companies across the world who require this saas solution mm-hmm. but we can easily build a 100 million dollar business out our our thesis is that you could easily build 10000 such startups out of india in the saas Interesting. So, so, so let's say I have like 10 years domain experience in healthcare, but I'm a solo founder. Can I still apply or would I need like a technical founder alongside? I, I do think that there are entrepreneurs who are really, really good all by themselves. Uh, and there are people who work together. I've seen like, you know, there is this drive going on where people are talking about like, you know, hey, I think everybody has to be a two person founder. And you kind of realize that there are some people who just don't get along, right? Like, you know, as two people. Uh, and there are also like, you know, even though they basically say that uh, there are two founders in the startup, there is 
you can see that there is a inequality between both of them. One is clearly the one who's leading, the other one is just building it. The tech. I think that's fine. Uh, I but if you are building it, so I think there's a difference between are you building a tech company or are you building a tech enabled company, right? If you're building a tech enabled company, you can actually hire the technology team. I think that's perfectly fine. But if you are building a tech company and you have deep domain expertise, but you don't have the technology expertise, then you better find find yourself a co-founder. Just, just for our listeners then, who may need to find a co-founder, you know, in your experience, you know, how, how do you go about finding a top co-founder do you have any tips so most of the entrepreneurs that we met uh who basically uh, tell me like you know where they found their co-founders and stuff like that it has always been a background of where they found them right mm-hmm. it is always like hey so and so you and i used to go to the same school or went to college and stuff like that so i think early in your years when you still haven't started thinking about your company right and, and people kind of can get to know you i think that's where the deep trust is formed that you can actually go through building a startup where you're not trying to kill each other uh, there are also i think while that is the best way to go about it because i ask whenever i meet founding teams i ask them you know when was the last three times that you had a fight and how did you uh you know uh, sort your disagreements because i think that's very very important because the number one reasons why startups die is still co-founderish and and I think it's absolutely important that like, you know, just as a relationship, you're able to basically go through this because you're going to have disagreements in the uh, kind of decisions that you need to make. And you're going to also have to realize that, you know, it's important to know what your role is in the building of the startup. If all, both the co-founders or all the co-founders have to be involved in every single decision, you'll also realize that, you know, you're just stepping on too many toes. I think there are also phenomenal incubators like, you know, what Entrepreneur First is building, you know, which is UK based, where they're basically saying, hey, if there are talented people, let's bring them come together and put them in a high intensity situation where they find co-founders within themselves uh, and they seem to be having some very good early success so I think you can also look at that actually when you asked them about uh, how many times you know the last three fights that they had did you did you get any in- interesting answers uh, can you remember people 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 still talk about most of the time it actually comes around oh you know what we were trying to build this project in school or we were trying to manage this thing that those kind of things come up and also stuff you know it's usually friendship stuff right mm-hmm. like Things that, you know, there is a, there is a, you know, I always believe that this is where I should be or, or uh, there was a difference in opinion in terms of what we thought was very, sp- very strong core beliefs. You, you suddenly realize that, you know, your, your best friend is voting for the different party, right? Mm-hmm. Things like that. Happen. Okay. Uh, <laughs> That's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> um, obviously you've had lots of pitches people have pitched you over a number of years do, do you go for the idea or do you go for the person uh, I believe it is the person and how deeply they understand the problem the thing I still believe that you need to be in love with the problem state mm-hmm. and I think like you know if you do realize that the, the problem is big enough and I really want to solve it I might have found a solution but you know it might not be the perfect solution right so you're you're going through iterations of it to basically figure out the, the right fit which is sustainable as a business right and uh, and i think that's a difficult process but i think if you are you are in love the right team in love with the right problem uh, i think is a winning combo and obviously you mentioned the government earlier how's that going the, one of the things that's that's happening with governments across the world is that everybody is basically leveraging startups and entrepreneurs as something that they can catalyze right and i think it, it has become an election uh, mandate it actually wins votes and uh, you know they're kind of riding on that momentum governments necessarily don't know how to work with startups because startups work in the realm of uncertainty right it has never been done before most of the things that startups are trying to do has never been 
done before. There is really no how-to guide on entrepreneurship. In that case, it becomes very difficult when a government basically steps in and says, okay, here are the seven things that you need to do to become an entrepreneur or to start a business. Uh, you kind of realize that it has become a template for medium and small businesses. It's not necessarily for cutting at startups which are pushing them. So a lot of the time, right, like, you know, increasingly the government comes up with schemes saying that, like, you know, things like, hey, you need to register to become a startup. I think any ecosystem that needs permission to innovate is going to fail. And, and I think from our perspective, right, you know, most of the hubs in India have kind of evolved on their own. To look at the hubs in the south, right, you know, Bangalore did not become the IT hub because the government envisaged it. Bangalore became the IT hub of the country because a group of entrepreneurs came together and made it happen. And I think that's how most ecosystems are, have been built and always will. And I think I think we need a good relationship with the government, but I think the government needs to know not to not to you know dot all the I's and you know do all the P's and the Q's. So so if you were in charge of the government program, what would you do? I would ask them to basically step back a little bit <laughs> and uh, perhaps not define things too too clearly, right? You know, for example, in some of the state governments where I do work, I think if you look at the first draft, it always says that hey we. In the next five years, we'll be building startups in the in the area of AI, ML, and you know IoT. And the, it's sad, but I, I like you know seven out of ten uh, state governments basically usually say AI, ML, and, and IoT as part of their verticals that they're focusing. And it's just not India. If you look at countries like Singapore, Indonesia, Malaysia, I'm seeing the very same thing across all those places. So, but if you look, ask them saying that you know, do you have a computer science, you know, really good computer science school which is generating all these PhDs and graduates? They'll kind of tell you that that they don't have one. Do you have a very strong mathematical background? They don't have one. And most of AI and ML is statistics. So how are you going to basically build cutting-edge technologies of companies if you don't have any of that? Let's say you, that you were starting your startup career today. What what area would you would you go into? Hmm. Uh, I see that uh, so the, the opportunities that I see right now, I think the world is global. Sure, I think uh, the governments are basically becoming very protective, but I think entrepreneurs are realizing that I can leverage the internet, I can basically do business across the countries without the government being a bit right so i no longer need the permission of the government i can go talk to different people be it uh, citizens or be it businesses i can basically reach out to them directly i think that's a that's a phenomenal enabler SaaS companies which are leveling you know leveraging that i think there's still a huge opportunity uh, but if you look at the next 20 30 years like you know the question that we often have is that uh, the year is 2040, what do you think would happen? I think education is a huge space that I'm really, really, really interested in. And I think people are starting the right way. Like, you know, for example, if you look at people basically saying, hey, I want to do the Lambda school model of education, right? Where I kind of know that, you know, you are good in what you do, but you just need to be equipped. And if you show outcomes, then I'm basically going to take a percentage of what you earn. And I think that can go very, very early. I think you can you can look at children when they are five years old, when they are in their eighth standard and basically do intelligence tests and things like that and start basically saying that, you know what, I see these candidates being extremely smart, these children being gifted, uh, let me start backing them in terms of education. Ideally speaking, governments should be doing this, but most governments would see these kind of options, these kind of interventions as, as socialistic measures. And hence, I think that good capitalism has a way to get. The, the other long-term plans that I actually see is that I think genetics uh, is going to be a huge space. And I do see like the, the blueprint, you know, the bits and pieces of that future basically coming together. I also do see that, you know, in 20 years from now, uh, we are most probably going to have a, a staging station in, in Moon, right? Mm -hmm. so because if you're going to seriously talk about space travel and stuff like that, uh, we need to escape the Earth's velocity because we just spend way too much energy and power getting rid of, getting out of the Earth's velocity. So it makes a lot of sense to basically like, you know, have a staging set up in the Moon from where we can explore. And But like a lot of things, right, you know, how are we going to build a habitable structure? 
structure there? How are we going to grow crops? How are we going to grow food? It's interesting because the constraints of having of, of being in in space, um, a lot of the research is basically going to trickle down to Earth in terms of how we're going to manage the climate, maybe reverse climate change, and also grow sustainable food. In terms of ethics, then you, you mentioned genetics. So let's say I came to you with a, a pitch about uh, creating a, a new superhuman being. I've got the patent rights to etc. Uh, w- would you invest in that? I, Eth- ethically, uh, ethically, with, with your <laughs> ethics hat on. I, I think if you look at genetics, right, I think they're, they're talking about uh, interventions in genetics in the germline or basically you're talking about a temporary intervention. Uh, I do see people like, you know, the number of genetic disorders that you actually see, like, you know, within my own family's uh, social circle, mm. uh, my families actually have friends with somebody who's like, you know, who have two daughters, uh, one is eight and one is 12, who actually have an autoimmune deficiency, you know, disease. And I think that's terrible because, you know, like the common cold can probably like, you know, kill you. Like if you can solve those kind of problems with genetic intervention, with gene therapy, uh, I think that's the best thing that you can do for yourself. And right? I think, I don't think we're going to go to superhuman. I think mm. we're going to go to, hey, let's solve cancer first before we can, and, and some of these genetic issues that we have, and it's just not going to be humans alone, right? I think before we get into humans, we're going to stop, fix a whole bunch of other genetic mess that we've created. Is something as simple as dogs. Dogs have the most messed up DNA, you know, in the, in, uh, they're one of the most complicated DNA messes that's happening in the species. Interesting stuff. Um, yeah, yeah, you mentioned the future. I mean, people are always talking about, you know, the bubble bursting, as it were. Will, will, will it burst or is it still booming? India definitely has a little bit of an overvaluation problem, right? Uh, if you're a second-time entrepreneur, I think people are raising an insane amount of money, valuations which are not making a lot of sense at all, right? And I think as, as somebody who's building the ecosystem, you also have to ask yourself, if the government is getting involved in building stuff, and there is this entire ecosystem that is getting created for it. What is the end goal that we're trying to achieve here, right? Is it for a, for a small minority group of people to become billionaires? Or is it an, you know, a high growth engine that will benefit, you know, maybe not all, maybe a majority of the portion, right? So uh, the only way that people, a larger portion of the society can benefit is if companies actually start going public. Uh, because then there is a way for, well, I wouldn't say the average citizen, but a much larger group of people to benefit in that growth and actually grow their wealth as well, right? Otherwise, you're going to have a really, really inequitable society, right? You know, because already in a country like India, we have about 90% of the country which is making less than 12,000 rupees a month, right? Which is which is not much at all. And like what, I think most of the wealth in the country is in the hands of about 1,700 families in the country. So you don't want to be going from 1,700 to 2,000. You should be going from 2,000 to 200 million people who can actually grow, be a part of this wealth. So if you do want companies to eventually come into the stock market, you kind of realize that, you know, if you map where the valuation of private companies are, and where they need to be realistically in the public market, kind of realize that they're nowhere close at all. So either the value that people are building in, you know, leveraging startups has to be infinitesimally uh, larger, or we seriously need to have a correction in terms of value. What we say is like the one big observation then dealing with startups in India? Uh, most of the honest, uh, startups in India are probably not Indian uh, companies. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's, that's a very interesting thing because... Uh, 75% of the companies that are registered that have raised money in India uh, usually tend to domicile outside. So they either go to Singapore or they go to go and get themselves registered in Delaware, which I think is interesting. Because even though we still count them as Indian companies, technically speaking, they're not really Indian companies. Yeah. So in terms of investment then, is, is the money coming from India or is it coming from overseas when it comes to... A good chunk of the money is coming from overseas. Mm-hmm. I think the economy is still growing, you know, 
significantly fast. And I think the entrepreneurs in India are extremely capable, right? Like, mm. so people are building companies that are global. So there are two kinds of companies, right? Indian companies, which are looking at the domestic market and Indian companies looking at the global market. The Indian companies looking at the global market are absolutely killing it because they're able to leverage the cost arbitrage and basically, well, that arbitrage, arbitrage is actually falling very quickly because, you know, maybe seven years ago, uh, the salary of an average or, or a good developer in India was much lower compared to the West. But if you look at it, now, uh, you know, an engineer who's probably uh, getting uh, working for Google versus working for a startup in India, it's probably a 20% art. It's not really that. You do have to ask yourself the question, like, you know, it does does the whole cost arbitrage thing really work out in India? But what India is really, really good at is that it uh, it's from day one, companies are getting built to go global, right? Mm-hmm. It's not like, hey, we're going to become an American company. We're going to, you know, build it out for the US market and then go, go elsewhere. Because you're sitting out of India, you're looking at different geographies all at the same time. So scale happens much faster compared to some of the other businesses that I see, either from Singapore or from even from Israel for that. Sitting in India and building for India, I think they're struggling because you're realizing that, you know, you're paying uh, significantly higher for your uh, talent pool and to keep your cost of business running. But as I said, right, 90% of the country is still making about 12,000 rupees a month. So how do you, uh, you know, get them to be part of this this marketplace? That becomes still the big. Um, what what, what, makes it, what motivates you then? What, what gets you out of bed? Uh, it's still, a, India is still a very nascent ecosystem. And I do believe that, see, different innovation ecosystems figured out their niche, right? Like the US and Israel uh, do leverage innovation and cutting edge and defense to basically stir up their innovation. Uh, China and Japan is very, very process-oriented. Germany is like, you know, they have their base with mechanics and mechatronics. Mm -hmm. India still quite hasn't figured out, right? I think software is one part that we can do, but the US still builds phenomenally good software, especially because if you look at AI and ML and all those things, the platform base or even quantum computing for that matter, right? Is I think the US is making significant leap compared to India and or China for that matter. So where is India's, you know, what is India going to be known for uh, is something that we still haven't figured out and I think that's quite an interesting journey because we'll figure this out in the next five years I think that a lot of people a lot of startup founders are scared of or telling you or, or pitching you in case that someone might st- steal their ideas or that I do get the question from time to time yeah. but I do uh, most of the time I realize that entrepreneurs there are two kinds of entrepreneurs entrepreneurs who kind of read up on marketed sites and then come and tell you and they're very scared because they think that hey I got it from somewhere else the chances of me telling you and you picking it up and running with it is also very high and then there are entrepreneurs who can look at the numbers on an Excel sheet and, and you know they see things that other people can't see right they're absolutely not worried about it at all they basically can't go and tell everyone that they know like you know as many things as possible they'll be like did you know that the credit card market you know there are gaps over here and they're not shy at all to talk about it because they're like I can spot like a you know a, a hundred thousand opportunities every week but then building a solution for that means you know five years of hard work to build a company maybe that's not something that I wanted so I don't think it's the idea like you know the hard work comes like how Netflix took 25 years to basically get to the company that all we all love uh, you know love to have right uh, but that was not the case early on when, when people were thinking about it so I think I don't think you need to be worried too much of the idea because that's just a matter of time like you know it's just a even if you're a startup entrepreneur and go around telling everyone that you meet your idea the chances of anybody remembering it is very very low uh, because I see so many people coming and telling me that okay this is a startup idea that I have six months later I meet him and he's like yeah I didn't work on it I, I went 
not the so if you need ideas i think there are more than enough ideas that you get people who come and speak to me they kind of know that like you know i think it's an unwritten rule of this ecosystem working in this ecosystem that you might hear you know when an entrepreneur tells you a little bit about the stuff that he's doing it is that is the ethics of the industry right you know where i won't tell you specifics of what somebody is doing so if somebody is coming and asking hey do you know somebody is working in this space i would tell them like yeah i might have met a company or two which is kind of working in that space mm-hmm. but i would never get into the specifics of what they're doing and what stage they are in because i don't think that's mine to share uh, in terms of mentoring then you've m- you must have mentored a lot of people uh, what what's the main question they ask you what is the main question that Well, hiring is a question that comes over and over again, mm-hmm. right? How do I hire people who are not like me? And I, I, I think a lot of entrepreneurs basically think that there is some magic formula. Maybe there is a website that they haven't yet found out where they can hire all the people that they want. Mm-hmm. But what I also realized, like you know, having doing this for almost fourteen years now, is that that problem never gets solved. I think uh, it was Bill Gates who basically said that even when he was the CEO of Microsoft, he used to spend forty percent of his time meeting new people because you know that's how you basically hire great. people to come to the team 40% of your time 40 to 50% of your time as a ceo will go into having coffee meetings with people who might be potentially a hire that you might want to look at mm. in the future right so you constantly building up this network of people that you might want to tap into when the time is right so that that problem never goes away but for say for first time founders would they hire for generality an all rounder or someone for who's got specific skills uh, i would say you would want to hire people who can wear multiple hats mm-hmm. right so it's it's neither it's you, you want people who can think in terms of range but you can also get it in terms of specifics the first 20 people that you hire for the company will essentially define the culture for the company and if you do that right I noticed that this 20 people will then bring people from their network into the company. If you want, like you know, for example, if, if all 20 people are tech guys or girls, for that matter, they are going to bring more tech people into the company. Uh, but you know, as you start your sales division, for example, you're going to have the same problem all over again. But so, yeah, you would we would want to start off with people who can wear multiple hats for you, because people who basically, like you know, if you're a company with less than 20 people in the company and you basically say, hey, here's a well-defined job description, I think you're hiring. Uh, last few questions. Have you got any like favorite books or blogs you want to recommend to our listeners? I I actually don't follow too much of startup blogs mm-hmm. because I do think that well you do get nuggets and pieces in of what you like there and then you do adapt it to what makes sense for you. Uh, but I do like to read things that are absolutely like you know for example I like reading stuff on biology and things like that. Maybe I'm I'm maybe I'm going through this curiosity phase with genetics and stuff like that right now. But I do I do see I do like how some of those things came to be. But I think people like Uh, Neval Ravikant, who's basically talking a lot of really interesting stuff. You, you want people who can kind of give you a different perspective, right? You know, think if you can look at the world in a slightly different way than how most people are used to, then you also start seeing very different options. I think as an entrepreneur, that's more important. I'm always scared that a lot of the books that you read, like you know, for example, somebody says blitz scaling, and then suddenly everybody's talking about blitz scaling. I think there's a little bit of dog whistling going on as well because. that was a strategy that worked for that company then it might no longer work for you anymore right because the market has all the elements that kind of define success of that strategy that no longer exists so you might actually be chasing a strategy which is very very outdated so you might want to think about like you know what has not been done before and basically try that for your company in which case most of those examples are not going to come from the startup world it's going to come from other what, what advice would you give to first time founders and yeah, what, what should they be focusing on i think keep it keep it simple i think you start with a, a problem statement which comes out of a deep domain knowledge and basically the capability solve that problem and a group of people who are super capable of doing that 
And I think that I think that's a great starting point. See, the thing is that I I meet a lot of entrepreneurs, and I ask them sometimes. Uh, I meet students who basically say, "I want to drop out of drop out of school so that I can start up." And I ask them, "So what is it that you're, run, you're chasing?" And they basically say, "Like, no, I want to start up. I'm not sure exactly what." And I tell them why they're thinking about starting uh, dropping out of school, and they basically say that, "Well, I don't really like this, 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 and this." And I I find most of those entrepreneurs is running away from something rather than running after something. And I think that's a problem. I think. Uh, If you start running away from things that you don't like, you're not really going to survive in a startup because there is a you know if you take legal compliance versus learning finance, uh, there are going to be a lot of things that are going to make you uncomfortable when you're building a startup as well, right? It's no it's not the thing that you're you know you're not you're not happy 100% of the time. Somebody basically said right like you you build a startup because you can you can sleep like a baby, but you're just waking up in the middle of the night and crying. So it's not a most peaceful thing, but it's a very satisfactory thing to do if you know what you are. So I think it's keen to like as a startup is growing, like the kind of entrepreneur that a company requires the first 18 months and the second 18 months is is almost exponentially you know different and as an entrepreneur you need to have the capability to learn and unlearn things fast and if you don't have that you'll kind of realize that the startup that you're building you have become the constraint and the bottleneck on its growth i think that's a bit of a problem how, so if you can equip yourself for that i think you're awesome how would you or can you give examples of you know how how, how would you sort of learn and unlearn so look at the cases like for example when uh, a lot of you know you notice that in a lot of companies the the founding ceo doesn't or the founding entrepreneur does not or the founder does not really become the ceo of the company right even if you look at the case of mark zuckerberg for example right i think he went through this very interesting phase where he was this nerd well who basically became an entrepreneur and then he basically he, he kind of realized that facebook was becoming much bigger than he kind of envisaged and there were a lot of these actions that were done like you know interviews that were given for example which was a little bit reckless for a company that was basically had a significantly disproportionate influence on them. and i think he was smart of him to basically get the help of somebody like eric schmidt to basically come and coach him mm. to become a ceo right so i think there is this transition path between hey i am a technologist to i am a product manager to i am a entrepreneur to i am a ceo right um so there are the spaces where you actually have uh if you are a ceo when you are supposed to be a product manager you will never get your product out of the ground because you're just thinking industry when you should be focusing on the details of the product so i think those stages are very very important T- tell us about your linkedin stuff it's really good how long um, you, how long you been doing it and, and some of the stuff you right i think your the last post was regarding gdp it was quite interesting yeah so i think it's a very i i think everybody talk i think there is this clash going on between capitalism versus socialism right and i think it's not capitalism versus socialism i think i i do think there is an emergence of something called good capitalism that has to come up and it it can't be either side at all i think it has to be a balance of things as most things in life are but i i was going through this whole development model of finland that a friend of mine was actually having a conversation with and i kind of realized that a lot of the stuff that we are actually also doing in the world today uh when we can actually personalize services in a large scale and the government can do that really really well uh if they are actually looking at the person as an asset rather than a liability in the in the lifetime scale rather than thinking about it like you know from a year to year perspective or whatever it is so i think yeah i think that is a discussion that is going on but i i find linkedin interesting because i used to have my conversations mostly on twitter before and i realized that apart from religion twitter and uh, maybe a little bit of bollywood uh, twitter is no good 
because you, people just hit and run away right like you know they'll basically say what have you said is stupid and then they'll go home. Uh, and you realize that you know you're, you're no longer having a conversation you're just fighting off trolls all day then i tried facebook and then my base my family basically said you know you need to find a life uh this can't be what i basically wake up to every day uh so i <laughs> so i i kind of moved on to linkedin because a, a i think it, it i like the fact that it is there is an unset rule that linkedin is about professional relationships so you can act, uh, and so you can actually have this conversations about you know work and the nature of work that is changing and people don't take things too personally there i feel and i think because a lot of people's uh, professional profiles are attached to it they're also a little bit lot more careful about what they say on linkedin i kind of see that the conversations on linkedin are a lot more you know amicable compared to maybe a, a you know facebook or worse twitter uh, so i kind of move my conversations mostly to i would start off my conversations with bits and pieces on twitter and then kind of like use that to evolve my conversations a little bit and then kind of move to linkedin as a much bigger meaty post because that makes a lot of sense people have been saying i need to have a blog of my own but i'll kind of realize that you know running a blog and then maintaining it and all of that is painful i think today if the if, if most of your uh, audience is in wherever the audience is i think you should basically go there and and forget about it last question for people who want more information on you and the startup center what what must they do you can follow me on linkedin i guess <laughs> yeah. uh, vijay anand <laughs> i'm sure uh you can put up a link somewhere yeah. uh which makes a lot of you know make it a little bit easier for people to follow and i'm also on twitter at vijay b i j a y a n a n d s vj thank you for coming on the show today It's a pleasure brilliant awesome stuff thank you very much thanks to vj for coming on the show today go and connect with him on linkedin check out the link on the show notes if you haven't yet please subscribe to the indian startup show wherever you listen to podcasts and if you've been listening for a while consider leaving us a five star review on itunes it helps more people find the show and that's kind of what we're going for here if you've got a topic you'd like to see discussed email hello at neilpadel.co and let's connect on twitter at indian startup sh or go to facebook.com/indianstartupshow thanks again for listening and we'll see you next time